This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I'm joined by Nick Horwat here on this Wednesday, February 2nd is when we're recording this. This will come out on Thursday, of course, but we have a great show for you guys today. The Penguins are in their all-star break. They're going to have about seven days to relax, rest up, and get back to square one heading into next Tuesday's matchup against the Boston Bruins. But on this show, we keep rolling on. We don't have an all-star break. We'll talk about the Penguins-Capitals game that happened on Tuesday evening. We're going to talk a little bit about the Penguins at the all-star break. We're going to be joined by a very special guest, Hunter Hodes from Locked On Penguins will join us. And then, of course, we're going to finish off this episode like we finish every Thursday episode with our shout-outs and our call-outs. Horwat, Tuesday night meant four straight losses for the Pittsburgh Penguins as they fell 4-3 to three in overtime. Is the sky falling now? We said it wasn't on Monday, but now that they lost to the Capitals, is the sky falling? No, still oh, not. Oh, really? That was a hard-fought game against a very good cap, very good Capitals team, despite what the numbers say. I mean, for a long time, Ovechkin was uh, leading the league in points. I think mm-hmm. he still is. So, like, there's that that we shut down for the most point, for the most part. Uh, and how many shots did we have that game? Uh, over forty, for sure. That's a lot of shots. We didn't necessarily get goal lead. We just couldn't get a save ourselves. And it's good for Tristan Jari to head into the all-star break just to stretch a little, I guess, in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, try and regroup himself because that was the big loss there is the fact that Jari couldn't make certain saves. Granted, again, you make you take 40 shots on the backup. Uh, it's not terrible. You We played an okay game. It was just a matter of finding the back of the net just one more time. And, oh, dear God, not having Kasperi Kapanen on this team anymore. <laughs> I've had it. Or at least on the ice in overtime. One or the other, because he looked fast throughout the game. He looked like he was trying to find his footing, but just couldn't do it for some reason. Yeah, one thing that we'll never say about Kasperi Kapanen is that he's slow. He's always been fast, but the way that he's handled the puck, the way that he's looked with the puck on his stick. I mean, he had a breakaway opportunity in the game that was just shut down by Ilya Samsonov. So... He's getting his chances a little bit more so, especially because he was put back up on the second line on Tuesday evening, but it's still not a good look for him. He's still in the dumps, and I know we're going to ask Hunter Hodes about it, so we won't go too much deeper into it, but it is a a struggle bus for him. It was also a struggle bus early on for Chris Letang, turning the puck over on the power play, leading to Nick Dowd's opening goal, just an absolutely costly defensive blunder that seemed to plague the Penguins throughout the entire game. It's not that they played poorly defensively, but it's just they had those big blunders that always ended up leading to a Washington goal. Yeah, Mike Sullivan said it after the game that it was the best game they played in the last four games, and it looked Mm -hmm. like it. Yeah. You mentioned 40-plus shots, at least on the backup. I think they had close to Mm -hmm. 45-ish. The power play looked to be just building on itself that it's phenomenal seeing the power play absolutely just take games over now you cannot take a penalty against this team anymore Mm -hmm. and the special teams is what drove this entire game on both sides yeah 
So, yeah, it's a solid performance. I didn't hate it at all. In fact, it looked like a good game. It was a fun game to watch. Uh, shutting the Capitals down for the most part through the third, also very good because we know the Capitals are a good third-period team. They can crush you and take games over in the third period, but they, the Penguins shut them down. They couldn't. The Capitals couldn't capitalize on their opportunities, and they had a few because you mentioned those defensive blunders that plagued mm-hmm. the Penguins. They, there were definitely a few, and none of this game I felt like you could place blame on specific people except for Kasperi Kapanen in overtime but that's a conversation for a different portion because otherwise the rest of the game looked like a solid team effort all around Mm -hmm. you mentioned the power play being all systems go all three of the Pittsburgh Penguins goals come from the power play of Kenny Mulkin scored the first one Brian Russ notched the second and third goals for the Pittsburgh Penguins so the power play continues to just stroll along really, really well. So if you're looking for positives, that is obviously the overwhelmingly biggest positive is the fact that they they scored three power play goals in the game. The negative being the fact that, again, at five on five, they're held scoreless. And again, they are not getting contributions from anybody except for Evgeny Malkin, Brian Rust, Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby. And then you can throw in Chris Letang there offensively because he's been able to notch a couple assists. But goal scoring wise, it's only four players in the past four games, which is why you've lost all four of them. You need at least a defenseman to score, a bottom six guy to score one goal in the past week. It just hasn't been there. And at five on five, it hasn't been there as well. I think this game, like you mentioned, they played very well. I think they outplayed the Washington Capitals, certainly in the second period. And definitely in the third period as well. Overtimes, you know, it's always a crapshoot, especially a three-on-three. But I think the Penguins, for the most part, for the first four minutes of it, controlled the bulk majority of the play and had the puck until Kasperi Kapanen turned the puck over and then they didn't touch it again until Dmitry Orlov scored and the Penguins had to fish it out of their own net. So it was a good game overall uh, where there's a couple things I want to get into a little bit deeper with it. But Overall, again, power play played well. They did play well at 5-on-5, but Ilya Samsonov was great for Washington. 43 saves for him on 45 shots in relief because he didn't start the game, so he had a really good game for them, and the Penguins just couldn't get anything past them at even strength. Yeah, and that was the only part of it. You just can't. You have to get even strength goals. You have to get bottom six scoring. Of all people, Jeff Carter is down there, and he's starting to fall flat a little. So it's not ideal, and that's what you need to pick up going forward if you want to have and hold on to this legitimate chance of being a quote-unquote contender. That's, Mm -hmm. like I mentioned a few weeks ago, or a few episodes ago, the bottom six scoring and defensive uh, contributions was the team's bread and butter for multiple Stanley Cup runs. That's what put us over the top. Yeah, the top six did their thing, but it was the bottom six that uh, was high-flying enough to put us over the top. You think of the HBK line in 16, Sure, one of those guys and Phil Kessel is probably a top six all the time normally. Yeah. But the situation called for him to go down a line. So so be it. That happens. I'm not saying one of the, one of our guys now needs to drop down to the bottom six just to contri- help contribute, but it's just the thought process of something down there needs to start clicking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And there's also a couple things that happened in this game that really honestly helped the Pittsburgh Penguins out. And let's get into one of them right now. Nick Dowd had a no goal in the middle of the game that I'm not sure what goaltender interference is anymore. They were, they initially called it a goal. They reviewed it. And they said that Dowd interfered with Tristan Jari, which if you're a Penguins fan, okay, you take it, you move on, you say, thank you. If you're a Capitals fan, understandably, you're pretty upset. I don't know what goaltender interference is anymore. I did see Dowd was in the crease 
So I understand that point. But was Jari really prevented from playing his position? I don't think so. And I think the Penguins were given a gift. They just couldn't capitalize on it. I guess they did getting a point in the standings. But realistically, that should have been a goal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that should have been a oh, goal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was... The first replay I saw of it, I didn't think there was contact at all. I just thought Dowd was close to him, which you're allowed to do. You're allowed yeah. to screen a goalie. I mean, but I genuinely did not think there was any contact at all. There was very little even after replay. Yeah, it was, and it was more or less Jari enforcing the contact. I don't, it, yeah. We'll tell it as it is, as Penguin fans. Yeah, that should have been a goal, man. Yeah. I mean, who knows what could have happened with that game, though? Let's say they True. score there. Maybe it. This, ha- this is always the, um, uh, the always the hindsight is twenty twenty. You don't know what the game yeah. could have turned out to be. Everyone goes back to that Nashville uh, no goal in the Stanley in game Cup six. final. Yeah. Who's to say the Penguins would have popped off for six goals after that? Who's to say the Penguins wouldn't have popped off for six more after if this goal let in? Yeah. But it's just the ebbs and flow of the game. But regardless, that should have been a goal, man. That oh yeah, just absolutely should have been a goal. Oh yeah, the Penguins were lucky in that regard, and they it, it did give them a point, so it helped them in the standings a little bit. But again, this is a game that you need to win, especially later in the season. Right now, this four-game losing streak, it's not hurting you all that much because of how well they played the two previous months. It's not hurting them too much when it comes to standings positioning. They're still pretty close to second place. They're still sitting in third place in a playoff spot pretty comfortably ahead of the non-playoff teams. But when you look at a game like this, you played well enough to win. You just got, and you got some some luck too, especially in this no goal. They just weren't able to pull it out. They weren't able to, like you look at the Brock McGinn opportunity that Simsonov made. It was a rebound shot and Simsonov made that skate mm-hmm. save. Some bounces didn't go your way. Some bounces did. But overall, the Penguins should have won this game. Absolutely. They should have. They, when you outplay someone to that extent, you that's what you expect to happen is a big victory. But... Sometimes things just happen. Like, I'm looking mm. at Tristan Jari made 32 saves, or, uh, sorry, 28 saves, which is not bad as well. Uh, yeah, Penguins had 47 shots on goal. I knew it was closer yeah. to 50. Like, you get to that number, mm-hmm. and you expect to score more than three, especially with the firepower you have. But again, how many of those shots came from bottom six guys? Because not a ton of them were going to go in for, for those guys at all. Mike Matheson had four himself. And we'll talk about defenseman scoring as well. Yeah. So, I don't know. The, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they should have won the game. They didn't. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a sour taste in the mouth of Penguins fans for a full week now. I mean, they have to ride a four-game losing streak throughout a week-long break. And it's not going to be happy days in the city of Pittsburgh. But realistically, and we'll take a look at where they're at right now going into the break. But realistically, they're still sitting in a really good spot. They've still gotten points in three of those four games that they've lost. And they're still in a good position heading into the post all-star break. I do have a couple more questions and topics that I want to get to about this Penn's caps game. Really quick ones. First and foremost, just specifically for you, Horwat, how much does it burn you when Daniel Sprong makes a play like he did on the game tying goal? Not only did he score that uh, game tying goal, but he also just trucked the shit out of Tom Wilson. I thought that was the most underrated (laughs) part of it. That not only did Daniel Sprong score, Tom Wilson was on his ass. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, every time it hurts. I saw him, I was grocery shopping right before the game, got home, and the first thing I saw on the screen was Daniel Sprong in the box, and I said, he's still one of us, clearly. Because <laughs> we went and scored on that power play. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That being said, why is it always the former Penguins and Dmitry Orlov? Yeah. It's always yeah. the former Penguins and Dmitry Orlov on this damn team. We have figured out a way to shut down Ovechkin in recent games. Like, does he have a goal here and there? Yeah. But for as long as I can, for a couple years now, it seems we have figured Ovechkin out. It is basically just put someone on him. Just stick someone next to him. They won't try and pass it to him. Yeah. That being said, like like I said, Ovechkin gets his goals, but it's always the former Penguins. And of course, it's Daniel Sprong for this one. Mm. He scored against us when he was in Anaheim, too. Yes, he did. He's, it's not, it's probably not a vendetta. Like, he's just a genuinely good player. But sometimes, former players, when they play against the team that drafted him, or in Sprong's case, drafted him and then just didn't give him the right opportunities, didn't trust him enough, and he mm-hmm. might feel a little a little angst against this team, that's got to be it. There's just a little extra step in games when you play against a former team like that. And it comes back to bite us in the ass with under a minute left in the game. Well, a minute left in the game. A minute left in the second period. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a whole other period after that. Yeah, it seemed like the game just because of how nothing, not that nothing happened in that third, but just how that was the end of the scoring. And that... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just read that one wrong. But yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You, so uh, scoring, although also scoring in the last minute of a period, that's momentum shifting. Mm-hmm. We've seen that many times before. Yeah, luckily the Penguins were able to come out and get the momentum in the third period after giving up the tying goal. But you, you talk about Daniel Sprong did score the goal. You look at the second goal for the Washington Capitals. It was Connor Sherry driving the puck to the net that created the opportunity for Orlov on the first goal. It was Carl Hagelin on the penalty kill that created the turnover from Chris Letang that we talked about. So yeah, former Penguins playing well for the Washington Capitals, making a difference in a game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's going to sting a little bit more, but I know personally that Daniel Sprong was one of your favorites whenever he was with Pittsburgh. You wanted him to pan out more than anything at some points, it almost seemed like. And then, of course, for him to come out, not just score the tying goal, but to score a beautiful power move tying goal past Chad Ruedel, and not only knock down Tom Wilson, he knocked down Mike Matheson too. He looked like he was bowling for soup there. So it was a really impressive goal by Sprong, and I just wanted to get your reaction because I know he he was your your baby when he was here. It it happens. Uh, it it really does. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like I said. Sometimes you just play with a little extra speed and a little extra grit when you play against your former teams, especially one that you might feel wronged by which Daniel Sprong definitely has every right to feel like he was wronged by this organization. Mm-hmm. And he went on to really, again, he hasn't panned out to what I think a lot of Penguin fans expected him to be. Yeah. But he's a solid. he's been a solid contributor for the Ducks and Caps since leaving. I mean, I mean, I, you look at the numbers. The season he got traded, he had, in 16 games, he had no goals and four assists with the Penguins, but went on to Anaheim to score 14 for the next 47 games. Mm-hmm. It just, that's astounding. Like, it was an immediate sh- shift for his play. And then as you go through his Washington uh, tenure, so far through 79 games, it's 21 goals and 12 points for 33 assists, or for 33 points, which it's not what Penguin fans or uh, writers would have thought of with Daniel Sprong when they first got him, but just the misuse and... Butchering his, uh, butchering his productivity, just that's what did it to him. He's Again, he's not a top six guy, but he can be a solid contributor with someone who's got a hell of a shot and has some good speed down low for a bottom six. He's a perfect piece for Washington, and that hurts to say. 
<laughs> that does because yeah, like I mentioned, he's he knows how to score timely goals against the right teams. Mm-hmm. Of course, with all this ended in overtime, Dmitry Orlov scored the game winner with less than a minute left in the OT period. Again, that's his second goal of the game. It seems like he always scores against the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. On that goal, just poor communication by Crosby and Mike Matheson. There was a switch there. I believe it was Wilson that came around to the boards and went down. Crosby, for a second there, thought they were switching, tried to go there, fell behind Orlov, which allowed Orlov to cut to the middle of the ice and score a goal, while Mike Matheson was just sitting in front of the crease, not really covering anybody. I think Matheson thought they were switching as well. So two guys in a really bad position in overtime and Orlov was able to beat Tristan Jari. And just like that, the Penguins have now lost four straight games heading into the All-Star break. So for a couple minutes here, let's talk about where they're at currently in the All-Star break. I got a couple questions for you, Horwat. But before that, let's do a little bit of maintenance here. Let's talk about where they're at, some of the stats that they have going on. 27, 11, and 8 on the season is good for third in the Metropolitan Division, but good for sixth in the National Hockey League as of right now. They have lost four straight games, three of them, however, coming in overtime and getting that loser point as well. The big issue with those four games and that four-game losing streak are the only goals coming from Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Brian Rust, and Jake Gensel. So that's where they're at right now. You look at their special teams. Their power play is now up to 22.1%. Good for 11th in the National Hockey League. They were 13th before their game on Tuesday. Their penalty kill has dropped a little bit to 87.5%, but that's good for second in the National Hockey League. Looking at their leading scorers going into the All-Star break, Jake Gensel is leading them with 46 points in 40 games, including 23 goals, which is also leading the Pittsburgh Penguins. Latang is in second with 42 points and 40 or 41 points, I should say, in 42 games played. Then Sidney Crosby with 40 in 34. Uh, fourth place is a tie between Rodriguez and Rust, although Rust has only played in 24 games and Rodriguez has played in 46. Uh, lastly, before we get into the questions, the injuries the Penguins currently have. Danton Heinen day to day. We would expect him to come back next week. Probably in that first game against the Boston Bruins, especially if he was day-to-day and he's coming off of a week off. Uh, Jason Zucker is week-to-week, still coming off of that core muscle surgery. And Teddy Bluger will be out four to six more weeks with his broken jaw. So, with all that in mind, that is where the Pittsburgh Penguins are. I'm losing my breath right now, so I'm going to ask you the question, let you get take it from here. What does this team need to focus on the most post-All-Star break? You know what? It's finding that depth scoring again. It's finding the defensive contributions because the the top six is going to do their thing they're going to continue to grow their game Mm -hmm. continue to score goals get points and help this team win now it is the bottom six's turn it's the main that would be my main focus sure it's inconsistent with the amount of injuries and protocol situations that may arise but at the same time evan rodriguez was the cult hero of this team early on he's Mm -hmm. got what two points in 12 games Something like that. Something yeah. stupid like that. Out of nowhere, he's ice cold. It's it, we we mentioned regression to the mean with him. All of a sudden, it's far below the mean. Yeah, we've discussed Kasperi Kapanen, and, and we'll continue to discuss his downfall until he is out of here. It, that just hurts to see, especially with him being on the top six now. Mm. It's that's just so not ideal. I mean, top six now. Give that time, that won't happen. Yeah. But not that it's not that the bottom six isn't trying. I thought the fourth line during the Capitals game had some good chances, had some good opportunities, which is shocking yeah. for a, a line with Tom Samoa. But Brian Boyle's driving play, 
on that line and in the in games that he during his might be minimal but during his ice time he seems to get chances i can think of one or two in the capitals game itself that they're all fill-in guys dom simone oh not aston reese but dom simone and brian boyle are technically fill-in guys on this team but seem to be doing okay dom simone not as much could we could use someone else maybe but brian boyle's driving play and i love watching him on this team and come close to at least producing and getting just needing a bounce maybe here or there mm-hmm. um and aston reese just straight up does not score but you know what i guess that's not what he's here to do but when your bottom six isn't doing jack shit something has to give and um at least that that line looked okay for the capitals game now it's just a matter of kicking carter back into gear kicking rodriguez mm-hmm. back into gear and brock mcginn is okay i think for Brock McGinn, this is like despite him not having a goal or a point in a little while, I feel like we didn't expect that much. I don't think we I, we expected ten to fifteen goals. I think he has nine on the season already. Yeah. So it's I, the, I, I, the issue is you expect we expected ten to fifteen. Well, he's about to hit ten at the halfway point. That doesn't mean he should stop. Now we're expecting well, twenty. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's just <laughs> that point. But yeah, I think it's the main focus going into the second half, the back half of the season really should not only be but the big one should be getting that bottom six going again if it Mm. involves a trade or hell maybe a healthy scratch and a call up go for it i mean zahorn is already here and is playing i i said he looked okay in the kings game didn't notice him as much in the capitals game it's just a matter of finding the right bounces but if it takes a call up if it takes giving um casper bjorkquist a longer chance at mm-hmm. maybe finding some space who knows but something's got to give on that bottom six to really get this team over the hump again yeah i mean i'm gonna say something and it might not be taken too well by our listeners or by pittsburgh fans alike but dom simone has performed better in his role than kasperi kapanen has this season that's just a plain fact dom that simone a has plain been fact yes because yeah and dom it, simone's people... role is bottom line not to cut you off but dom simone's role is bottom line and he's doing a good job there Kasperi Kapanen's role is uh, Malkin's winger, and he can't do shit there. Yeah. So for those who are saying that, hey, to fix this team, to fix the bottom six, just get rid of Dom Simone. Why? He's doing fine. Get rid of a guy like Kasperi Kapanen, who's supposed to be much better, supposed to be taking a larger role, supposed to be accounting for more goals and more percentage of the points scored, and he's not. So as much as I don't like Dom Simone, which I'm not a big fan of his, he does what he does well, and he's being used properly by Mike Sullivan this time. So I don't hate the fact that he's in the lineup. Is he in the lineup when he's fully healthy? No. But is he doing better than what Kasperi Kapanen is doing at their prospective roles? Yeah. And it's not that close right now. I think the, the performance speaks for itself for both of them. So um, my answer for this, what do they need to focus on? Get healthy and stay healthy. I know that's that's always a thing. You mentioned the fact that the bottom six needs to get better. Well, it'll get a lot better if you're having guys like Danton Heinen play down there. If you're having a guy like Jason Zucker in there. So I understand that, yes, you're going to get kind of a regression from your bottom six. But get healthy. I mean, luckily, the defense, it's been the same six guys. And there was a little bit of a threat on Tuesday to possibly miss one of these guys. But the defense has been the same defense core. They've seen the same exact lineup since November. They've stayed healthy. If somehow the forwards can get to some modicum of that, or maybe just one guy out, then I think that's going to be a huge thing to focus on. Just make sure that 
you're maintaining your health, make sure you're getting back to healthy because you see the difference that Teddy Bluger makes to this lineup being out. You need a guy like that in the lineup. So you need to get healthy. You need to stay healthy then. That's what's going to help them the most heading towards the postseason and down the, the main stretch here. Getting healthy is just, you're just beating the old drum again. Yeah. It's, we're still on this. We thought maybe we're inching back. We might finally have a chance if just before we found out Zucker had core muscle surgery. Hey, yeah. we're, we're only missing Zucker at this point. We're, we're getting there. And six to eight or six to eight weeks because of a broken jaw to Teddy Bluger. And mm-hmm. back to not playing a single game with a fully healthy lineup. Who are we? Is it still just, is it just, is it just John Marino at this point? He's played every game. Uh, John Marino and Evan Rodriguez. He is the other one, but well, if he doesn't score, that one might not last long. Because <laughs> once once Evan Rodriguez stops scoring, I'm treating him like old Evan Rodriguez again. I'm sorry. It's yeah, that's fair. Everyone can pop off for a good amount of goals to start to start a season, but if you go back to your former self, then that's how you're gonna get treated. I mm-hmm. don't care if if that consistency isn't there. If until you prove you can be consistent, that's how I'm gonna treat you. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fair point. I can't point. think and of that... a comparable because that's just a hard thing to find of someone who who was just exploded for a short amount of time and then went back to nothing. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's just the way it works. You are who you are in this league. Unless it's goaltending, we have an idea of how you can perform on the ice. So that's a, actually a pretty good segue to the next question I have. And that is, who has been the biggest surprise up to this point? A couple months ago, or maybe even a couple weeks ago, everybody's answer to this would have been Evan Rodriguez. But now, since his regression to the mean, and as you mentioned earlier, maybe even below the mean, who to you has been the biggest surprise to this point? Mine is Tristan Jari. I mean, 23 wins, that's good for fifth in the National Hockey League. A 9.23 save percentage, that's good for sixth in the National Hockey League. 2.21 goals allowed average, that's fourth. Three shutouts is fifth in the NHL. And a 10.61 goal saved above average, That's fourth in the National Hockey League. So he is top five to top six in all of these very important categories. I didn't think he was going to suck. I didn't. I did not expect him to be this good and to be this important to the team. This guy is the main reason this team is where they're at. Obviously, Jake Gensel is a big help. Sidney Crosby starting to pop off. Chris Letang, for the most part, has had a really good season. Malkin's been great since he's returned. Rodriguez is what he is. But Tristan Jari is the main key to this team. The only reason that this team has been as good as they have been, and honestly, the only reason that this team has gotten points in three of the last four games, despite losing all of them. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. very true. Tristan Jari, I think, are these Vesna caliber numbers we're looking at here? Uh, I think they get him in the conversation, but I think you look around the league, especially at Igor Shosturkin, and he's not going to be able to compete with what Shosturkin's doing. It's fair. He's hope one goes one way one goes the other i think it's possible he could be in that conversation but just you're right he's the reason why we're staying in these games he's the reason why we are um able to collect points while he is giving up a th- i mean what is this a few games in a row now where it's been four goals just yeah a couple but at least this one he actually had some defense the games before that he didn't have any help exactly he's got to get his help though that's mm. the problem it's like sure he's going to give up goals when he's not getting any help you can't place that blame fully on Jari. Sure, some of them maybe you want. Sure, maybe you, some of them you might want to save. Yeah. But at the same time, give him some damn help so that shot doesn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest surprise, though, is the negative surprise of 
Kasperi Kapanen, and I'm not going to get off of this train until it's figured out because yeah. at this point he is he. I mean, he probably has been, but he's we have finally seen that he's costing us games. Yeah, sure. You like it, it's not that he looked like he was going to have a bad game yesterday. He looked fast. He was back with Malkin, maybe a trade tryout. Who knows? But he looked quick. He seemed to be in the game, in the play, and showing that there could be something there. But then that overtime happened. Even before the giveaway, I was curious as to why he was given a shift at all. I don't know yeah. who else he put out there, honestly. Evan Rodriguez, I don't think, got a shift, but maybe you use him, try and kick his gears back in. Yeah, I'd rather see Rodriguez and, and Carter out there than Kapanen at all. Yeah, exactly. But then there's just the whiff of a pass, which... Yeah, yeah that was bad. That was it really happens. bad. It happens. If they would have gone down and scored right away like they almost did, I would have... From the mountaintops, I would have been, I don't know why I said from the mountaintops, I would have been on the first Uber over to his place and started packing for him. <laughs> but, I mean, it inevitably ended up being one of the big reasons why we lost anyway, because we never got the puck back. And also, why was he still out there? Yeah. That was one thing. I think it was Josh Yoey tweeted out, why was he out there for that long? That was a long time to be out there, even after the giveaway. Mm-hmm despite being out there at all. I think that's the my biggest surprise because we had everybody, everybody except for me, everybody said he was going to be the unsung hero of this organization this year. Hell no is he not. He is the furthest thing from it this year. And like yeah. I said, he's finally showing that he's costing us games. Mm-hmm. An important one against the Capitals. Sure, in overtime, where we gave up a point to them anyway. But still... We could even use that extra point going into the All-Star break. Give us some yeah. confidence. And it's always nice to be up six points on the Capitals for fourth instead of three points, which is where the Penguins do sit currently. But one last question before we give it over to the Hunter Hodes interview that we did. I think everybody's going to enjoy it. It's a lot of fun always when we have him on. But the one last thing I want to talk about, what is one crazy prediction that you can make for the stretch run post-All-Star break? Oh man, a crazy prediction. That's hard. I would, I would, I'm leaning towards saying somebody's going to be a goal leader or a point leader. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but that's just hard to pick now because we've se- we're seeing what Brian Rust is doing. Jake Gensel yeah. is still a thing. Sidney Crosby's got a couple of goals to get to 500 and wants to take this team over still. Um, my prediction is that if Genny Malkin just doesn't slow down his pace and that he, it's maybe this isn't the wildest prediction because it is Evgeny Malkin. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not going to mess with, he has not messed with the chemistry and will not mess with the chemistry of this team. Yeah. So I'm just going to say Evgeny Malkin pops off to be, uh, where's he at in points right now? 13 and 12. 13 games? and 12. I'm in the wrong order on. Yeah. He has 13 games. points in 12 games, including a nine game point streak. Already good for pretty high on this team in terms of points. 15, uh, 15th, but in 12 games. That's, that's yeah i give it a lot. week and he's gonna jump a couple more players on that list oh for sure he's already tied with zucker who i mean obviously is injury out. but yeah is not playing well either you know what here i'm gonna change my answer i know i just started on this long tangent on evgeny malkin but i bet zucker comes back from injury and does something there's my bold prediction there you go there's my hot I like take it. i like it you know i i we have a current poll out there at iceberg podcast go vote on it if you haven't already which player is most likely to be traded or would you like to see traded and Jason Zucker is far and ahead in first place I don't agree with that at all and we'll get into it on next Monday's episode when we talk about the Pens poll but listen 
Zucker, much better than Kapanen right now because at least he does everything else correctly. As long as he's not, if he's not scoring, at least he does everything else the right way. Kapanen hasn't done much the right way. So I do like that prediction from you. For me, uh, I already said Evgeny Malkin's going to lead the Penguins in scoring on Monday, so I'm not going to go with that. My bold prediction, my crazy prediction for post-All-Star break, general manager Ron Hextall is going to bring in a big defenseman at the deadline. I don't know. Klingberg is available. Chikrin is available. I don't know if it's going to be one of those guys, but I think he brings in a defenseman to help this team out. I don't know who goes out of the lineup. Probably a Chad Ruweedle. But I think if Hextall is going to bring in anything, a lot of people think it's going to be a forward. Maybe it's a defenseman. That's that's my bold prediction, my crazy prediction. It doesn't need to be a forward. That's that's where I'm at. It doesn't necessarily need to be a forward. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. seeing Kapanen just eat up time when he shouldn't be. Sure, Zucker, despite me saying... Uh, is going to play solid when he returns. He doesn't need it, the, the 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 trade doesn't need to be a forward because once fully healthy, we have a good forward core. We have names mm-hmm. at least. I mean, yeah. Zucker and Kapanen may not be what they're supposed to be, but at least they're names that we can kind of say, "Hey, there's a chance that they pop off and they are reliable again." Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you look around and it's a pretty solid lineup because everyone's been contributing. Evan Rodriguez if he keeps like this, can be pushed out for someone who may have a better chance at this. A fully healthy lineup with the way that, th- that things are going for guys like Kappen and Zucker and Rodriguez, at least those three specifically, mm-hmm. it gets interesting all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. So while the trade doesn't need to be a forward, I like the idea of a defenseman because, sure, we're enjoying Chad Ruedel. He's not an 82-game-a-year guy. He's not. I mean, he hasn't been bad, he but hasn't he hasn't been, been great either. He hasn't been bad. It is hard playing with Matheson. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, true. Especially lately. Matheson lately has started to revert to massive mistakes and massive turnovers. So it doesn't help his case there. Yeah, so we'll give uh, Ruedel the benefit of the doubt in playing with Matheson. But at the same time, regardless of who he's playing with, Chad Ruedel isn't an 82-game-a-season guy. So picking up a defenseman sounds like a good idea. Sounds like the starting idea. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a forward. Sure, we want to see a forward out and maybe a defenseman in, or hell, a better backup goalie in while we figure <laughs> out Louis Domingue. And if you yeah. were to tell me I could have someone else better than the two of them, I'm going for it. It's always like I like I've said before. If you want to trade Jake Gensel, sure, give me Connor McDavid back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At the at the, the benefiting the everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be a crazy trade. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, maybe we'll run that by Hunter Hodes as he joins us here from the Locked On Penguins podcast, joining us here on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Stay right there. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams for Super Bowl 56. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Super Bowl, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5, get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, make sure you play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. Why? Because new customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5, and you can win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, 
an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467369. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show and basically 18 different times in our first segment, our guest here on today's episode is Hunter Hodes of the Locked on Penguins podcast. How's it going, Hunter? Not bad, you know, definitely a little annoying with the losing streak, but, you know, they, at least they've gotten some points out of it, so it's nothing too bad. Yeah, of course, the Penguins have lost four straight games, and in those games, the only goal scorers, coincidentally, have been four people. Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, Jake Kensel, and Brian Rust, who is also on a, on a crazy streak. One player that has not scored, basically at all this season, that's Zach Aston Reese. And I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on his season to this point? Because he has one goal... Only nine points on the season, and people say, listen, he's not a goal scorer, but all of his analytic numbers are starting to hit career lows, which is worrisome to me. So what have you thought about Zach Aston Reese this season? You know, his defensive impact, I think, is still there. You know, last night, I, I really noticed him a lot against Alex Ovechkin. I think he was doing a really nice job on him, and, you know, that's what he's getting paid to do. Um, they're not going to, you know, pay him to score. You know, obviously, I think he got close to 10 last year, if that sounds correct, Um Definitely having one halfway through the year. I mean, that's not not even a four-goal pace for a four two-game season. It's not where he wants to be, obviously. Um, but I think I also I also think that just because the team hasn't been as healthy, he hasn't been having he hasn't been able to have that line with McGinn and Bluger as much, especially now with Teddy out for the next what you know four to five to six weeks with a broken jaw. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to affect his game even more. But defensively, I still see that impact. He's good on the PK. He's good at suppressing shots. I, I, I have noticed that his underlings offensively have not been good. Um, but, you know, I, I would I still would like to see some more offense from him. But, you know, also I will say this. Their depth scoring, I think, has dried up a lot recently. I don't think it's just him. You know, Evan Rodriguez, for as good as he's been, he's really dried up. You know, Dominic Simone is out there not really doing much, even though – that's who he's been his whole career. I mean, he's going to yeah. be a good playmaker, but he's not going to score. Um, and I think that's kind of what Ashton Reese is a little bit. You know, he can playmake a little bit, but he's not going to go out there and score. That said, I want to see more from him at this point. It's definitely been a little bit of a disappointment. I said last year that I think he's probably one of the more underrated players on the team, on the team if not the most undervalued. But, you know, right now he, he's not living up to that. Mm-hmm. and i don't really know what you do do you put him uh, on the third line i don't think you put him in the top six that's probably not going to do anything um yeah. but it's they got to figure something out with getting more offense from him and i think a lot of the depth uh as well yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth in terms of the, of the uh, depth scoring how important is it that they return to form or at least begin to contribute a little more if this team wants to have a, a legitimate chance of winning 
yeah, it, it needs to come back in full force. You, know, you can't just have Jake Gensel scoring 40 for you um, almost every night at this point just because of how good he's been. Same with Brian Rust. Um, Gino has five already in almost the month that he's been back. Sid is starting to really fill the net again. That that can't be it. You know, Danton Heinen, he was playing well, but, you know, he went in a dry spell. He's still sitting on nine goals for the last few weeks. I already touched on Evan Rodriguez. He has already a career high um, close to 15 goals, but, you know, he hasn't scored in the last couple of weeks despite getting the chances. But, you know, those are the ebbs and flows of a regular season. Mm-hmm. You know, I already said that Simone asked me, I mean, McGinn, at least he's been having a little bit of a pulse a bit more. He has 10 goals already this year. I still want to see a little more from him though. Bluger being out though, I think is such a huge um, loss that I think not a lot of people, you know, focus on just because, you know, what he brings to the lineup on an every night basis, both offensively and defensively, especially on the PK um, at least, but you know, it's ultra important. You need four lines to score. The Penguins found that out in 2016 and 2017, you know, then the funny thing is earlier in the season when they were so banged up with both COVID outbreaks and, you know, Sid being out and then Gino being out, they had the depth scoring. Everyone was stepping up. Now that almost everyone is back, except for a few, it disappears. And then, you know, they're losing in part because the stars can't do it every night. You know, that's plagued them a few times in the playoffs over the years when they didn't have any depth. But now when there's really no excuses, when you have the depth and it's shown that you've had the depth this year, Mm -hmm crunch time you know you're in a you're in a dog fight for the top three in the division i'd like to get home ice if they could but you know they got to start getting some more depth scoring here and taking some of the pressure off the stars yeah for sure one of the names you didn't even mention through all of this while he's not necessarily a depth scorer in the lineup he's been forced to be a depth player recently oh, that is... going for there <laughs> Yeah, is Kasperi Kapanen, who has just gone ice cold throughout this season. And is there a fix in the situation? And if there is, what is it? Or is he just a lost cause? That's a good question. You know, I touched on that on my episode on Tuesday. I really don't know what you do with this player at this point. I mean, do you move him at the deadline? If you do that, who replaces him? You know, this is probably something that they're going to have to do over the summer. I think right now I don't see how he returns next year. I know he's an RFA, but you, if you don't give him a qualifying offer, I'm pretty sure he becomes a UFA, then I think he walks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ron Hextall has no loyalty to him. He really doesn't have loyalty to most of these players because he didn't really mm-hmm. sign them. But especially with Kasperi Kapan, I mean, you know, and, and this is what, you know, a couple people just in the Penguins community tried to, I think, warn, you know, everyone going into the season. Like, you know, you look at his shooting percentage from last year, that masked a lot of his inefficiencies. You know, sure, he scored, I believe he had 10 goals, um, I believe it was four, 30, 40, 30 points in 40 games, if, I, if my math serves me right. Um, so <clears throat> that was all good. But then the numbers, his underlying numbers were not that good. This year, fast forward, his numbers aren't bad, but he's just, he looks lost out there. And he basically cost them the game in overtime, I thought, last night. Has no pressure at the top of the point. Has the puck and decides to fire it right out of capital for no reason. And they, they don't touch the puck for the rest of the, the overtime session before Dimitri Olaf's goal. And it's just like, those are the kind of little plays that tells me that he, he, he doesn't have any confidence right now. And they put him back with Evgeny Malkin thinking that this was going to work and, you know, it worked last year. Why not? But it didn't. And then he played eight minutes again on Sunday against the Kings. And I, I think you're seeing what Mike Sullivan, he, I don't think he knows what to do in this situation. Um, are they going to scratch him and put Redeem Zahorner in there if the team is fully healthy? I mean, I, I, probably not just because of how, you know, he can turn it on at any second. But, 
it's 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 at a lost cause i think right now and i think next year they're gonna have to i think cut their losses um i, I and i'm rooting for the guy too i love yeah. the guy. He, he obviously loves being a penguin you know played really well for them last year but it's not working out right now and if this is if this is not going to change you're putting your you're doing a disservice to yourself by putting him in the lineup and playing him in high leverage situations well if they don't cut bait with him at the end of the season, they might even cut bait with them before the end of the season. I mean, the trade deadline is less than 50 days away from this recording at the very least. What do you think the Penguins need to add heading into that stretch run? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Casey DeSmith, he saved his job for now. Let's say that. He had one game. He had that, that probably, it's it's crazy to me. I said this to myself when I was watching that game. Um he probably has the save of the year for the Penguins, and it's not the potential future Vezina Trophy finalist who has just played out of his mind this year. Yeah, um, great game for him, but can he continue that? If he can't, I think they're going to have to go out and get a backup goalie. Um, it would be full circle if they got Yaroslav Halak or Braden Holpe, just because those two uh, goaltenders have tortured the Penguins at times over the years. Especially Halak. I don't want to go back to when I was 13 years old watching that series. Um, but it would piss off a lot of Capitals fans. So I think I'd be here for that and Holby would too. But Mm -hmm. I think that's probably where if they want to make a move, they can, but you know, I have seen this argument, you know, thrown around as well. Are you going to get better goaltending from one of those goaltenders that are on the market while giving up assets than you would if Casey DeSmith somehow turns it around and i think you know it's a fair question just because he did have a really good start and the talent is there like i i, mm-hmm. I saw it in that last game we saw it last year it's just can it be consistent and we haven't seen that so far just because he's been so bad this year but you know if he can stream together some more starts like that i think that's he'll, he'll save his job i think that's one area though i mean maybe if you want to look for another defenseman you know I'll say this, John Marino hasn't been good this year. Um, and it pains me to say that because of how great of a rookie season he had. But he's been being bullied in front of the net almost all year. It's definitely not his strong point. You know, and you know, to think that some people in this fan base bullied Marcus Pedersen about that. I mean, <laughs> dude, the guy's probably having one of his best seasons of his career, and he's not getting bullied in front of the net like Marino is. And that contract, man, five more years, four point four million. If he plays like this a slippery slope um one thought of a pretty good signing by jim rutherford could look kind of bad um i've seen people throw around john klingberg probably not going to happen even though it would be a lot of fun mm-hmm. um but i do think they could use potentially an upgrade there if marino does not figure this out because he's just not looking like the same player mm-hmm. um forward wise i mean again if you want to move on from Kapanen, okay what are you gonna do though mm-hmm. like how are you going to replace him? Do you, are you going to do it internally or do you want to bring in someone, you know, maybe make a trade with Vancouver because Jim Rutherford is there. <laughs> Somehow bring in like a, I don't know, Connor Garland, JT Miller kind of type player. Probably not just because I'm sure JT Miller or Connor Garland will bring in a much bigger haul than Kasperi Kapanen here. But, you know, Jim Rutherford traded for him in the past. He could do it again. That's probably more wishful thinking on my part. Mm-hmm. But if you can get a forward to replace him, by all means do it. I just don't know if Ron is going to actually do that, but you know, hopefully Jason Zucker comes back at some point and plays pretty well as, as well. You know, he's probably out for, I think the next six weeks at least with that hernia, just because Sid was out for, I think around that or a little close to over, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably it for the deadline. It's just I don't think we're going to see a big block must buster move here. I don't think it's in Hextall's DNA. Mm-hmm. That's where I was going to go with it next. I know maybe Kapanen wouldn't be enough to get a Connor Garland or even a JT Miller, but would you be willing to throw in a first-round pick for next season to help this year's team? Do you think that's something that we're going to be talking about a lot heading into the the trade deadline? Is the first-round pick safe in Pittsburgh this year, which has always been a conversation? Do you think, or at least if you were in in Ron's shoes, would you be willing to trade that first-round pick? Yeah, I would. Um, I think this is probably the deepest team they've had I would say since 2017 when everyone is firing on all cylinders. I know last year's team was really deep. And absolutely mm-hmm. was. I mean, I know Tanev, basically the only thing that's different is Brandon Tanev and Jared McCann are not there. Imagine where this, imagine how good Jared McCann would be right now, but no, I'm just not going to go into that. But I do think, you know, you're at the end of your window, right? You're chasing four with, you know, three of the greatest players to ever play this game. One of them is a top five player of all time. The other one is definitely a top 25 player of all time, if not higher. Um, you go all in when you can. You know, this is not some Ken Holland retirement home crap that you hear every year with the Oilers where you're just like, well, you know, you pick and choose when you go all in and all this nonsense. <laughs> you have two of the five best players in the game. I don't want to hear that crap. Um, now, I do know that Brian Burke would probably prefer to keep that first rounder. You know, he he spoke to the media, I think, on Josh Getzov's show about a month ago saying, you know, we're not really looking to move that. But, you know, that's all GM talk. You know, yeah. they, they say one thing and then they do another thing. If I were them, I would. You know, no one is going to give a crap where this team is in, in four years if they win a cup this year. And that's four, by the way. I mean, they would, they would tie Gretzky and Messier right there for that dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. I think they have a, a great shot if, you know, they get healthy again and, you know, Tristan, you know, gets back to where he was. He's had a little, he slipped a little bit, but I think that's expected. That's the ebbs and flows of regular season. The depth scoring is dried up. But, you know, I know that this is a really good team and I know that they can, I think, I think they can take down anyone in a 17 series in this division. It's all a matter of, can they beat the Florida teams? And I'm not really sure if they can with how good they've been this year, but you know, I, I would, if for immediate help and for a cup run, you, you go all in one more time because you know what, nothing is guaranteed after this year. You have a few players that are not signed yet to contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Crystal Tang, Brian Russ too. That's approaching territory that they may have to keep him, but you know I've said a lot of times that's that's going to be a hard contract to fit in. Maybe Andy Malkin, of course, Evan Rodriguez. You go all in for all of them, and if you win it, you figure out the rest later. That's what I would do if I were Ron. Yeah, the question then becomes: Do you want a Stanley Cup, or do you want another Samuel Pool and where he's at in two years? That that's basically to, it's oversimplification, but realistically, that's what you're looking at in a in a late early to late round twenties pick yeah i mean and look how good samuel poulin's been sam poulin has been this year has not been lighting it up in wilkesbury last i checked um definitely you know and that's you know what people said like well you can't trade someone like that i'm like he's not really doing anything in wilkesbury and he's probably i mean for as great for as good as he is and i'm sure he's a good player mm-hmm. i mean is he really going to be an impact player in the nhl probably not and you know that's that that's why you see teams trade all these first rounders you know, you look, I can make a comparison to the NFL, right? The Los Angeles Rams traded almost every pick in this year and next year's draft to go all in for Super Bowl this year. They're now one win away from winning it. Yeah. No one is going to care at the end if you win it just because, you know, you won the championship. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Penguins, they've won three championships. And yes, they're going to pay the price down the line when Sid and Gino and Tanger eventually call it quits. 
but you don't think about that right now. You go all in. If that means, you know, going out and getting a JT Miller, okay, pay the price for it. You know, I'm sure Jim Rutherford, with how he always likes to make deals fair, he would probably give you a decent bargain on that. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see, I think. You know, again, I know Ron Hextall rewarded them last year. That was the reasoning why he went out and got Jeff Carter. He said the team was playing well. I wanted to reward them with this acquisition and make us deeper. You know, with where they are in the standings right now, with the deadline coming up next month, you know, with the team keeps chugging along, and I think they're going to turn this around. This is just a little bit of a misstep. They played really well against Washington and deserved a much better fate. Um, I do think you're going to see him make another move. Let's have a little bit of fun here. I have a question here that I don't know what happened in, in my life that made me think of this question and specifically to ask it to you, but which of these former Penguins would help this team the most if he was able to return to the lineup? None of them per se are on the trade market. None of them are per se ever going to play for the Penguins again, but which of these four would help the Penguins the most if he returned? Thomas Grice, Patrick Hornfist, Connor Sherry, or Ian Cole? <sighs> That's tough. That's a it's a weird question. I know, I know. I don't know why I thought of it or why those four players came to my head, but I specifically was like, I want to ask Hunter this. See, Hornquist is good, but they've played, but, but but Mike Matheson is playing his best hockey of his career, so I'm not really gonna say him. Bryce is good because a backup goaltender, but man, can I jump in and say definitely not Sherry because we tried that and it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> that's just, that one's a no-show. He doesn't really do much in Washington unless he scores against the Penguins. He has seven goals in 14 games against them for some divine reason. I don't really understand that. Um, yeah, I think it's Cole or Grice. I'm going to have to say yeah. – see, that you're, stump, you're stumping me there. Um, I think I might lean – I think I might lean Ian Cole just because of how John Marino has played this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Thomas Grice, and you know I probably should just because the backup goaltender spot has not been good. But um, I think they could honestly do better um, than Thomas Grice's backup goalie spot. Um, Ian Cole, you know, if you were to pair him, you know, on that second pairing, I mean, you know, Pedersen with him, I know it's two lefties, but you know, it would make a lot of sense, honestly. You could deploy that as your su- shot suppression pairing, and they would do pretty good. And if you wanted to deploy Ruedel and Matheson um, a little more, just because with how good Matheson is offensively this year, I think that would make a lot of sense. I would just say Cole, just because he was really good in front of the net, he would always make that responsible decision in his offense mm-hmm. in his defensive zone. And Marino just hasn't been able to do that on a consistent basis this year. But it's close. But that's where I would lean for helping the team right now. Well, even without who we had, who you, these options that were given, do you look at the Penguins as legitimate Stanley Cup contenders right now? And uh, what other teams across the league do you have your eye on? I do. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I said earlier, I think they can take down any team in this division in a seven game series. I don't think the Rangers are that good. They are carried by Henrik Lundqvist Jr., the, the best defenseman in the NHL, one of the best. Uh, wingers in the NHL and then Chris Kreider who all of a sudden has decided to be Alex Ovechkin this year and of course Mika advantage that's good too but you look at the rest of that team their underlying numbers are among the worst in the NHL their expected goals are bottom five their shot uh, their shot attempts per 60 are bottom five almost all of their underlines are bad it's just that they're getting an all-world season from their goaltender who is rightfully going to win the Vesna 
mm-hmm. and their elite talent has stepped up. That's the only reason why they're winning. I think Penguins would beat them. Um, Carolina obviously is going to be a tough out. I think Washington is good, but I think in two of the three meetings this year, Pittsburgh has really bullied them, and I think Pittsburgh bullied them last year. So I think the Penguins would beat them in a seven-game series. Um, you know, obviously I have my eye on the two Florida teams. Panthers are good. I mean, that's yeah. – yep. I think we need to see another battle of Florida down there because I think the Panthers can take them this year. Um, with how Bobrovsky's going, how their top six is playing, Ekblad's healthy. I think with how tired Tampa is going to be probably this year, I think they're going to, I think they would take them. You know, Toronto is Toronto until they prove otherwise. Boston's on Boston, though. I mean, you know, they have the perfection line. They have Charlie McAvoy. Tuka time is back. That's a good team. But I was going to throw this out there for you guys. I think we need to see another Penguins Carolina Hurricane series. We haven't seen one in 12, 13 years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is, this is, these are two teams that play very similar hockey, two of the best coaches in the league. You know, I hopefully could go down because I'm only two and a half hours away from Raleigh at this point. Um, but, you know, you got the Jordan Stahl revenge series. Yep. It's, it's a series I think a lot of people should hopefully want, but. You know, I do see this team as cup contenders. Their underlying numbers are among the best in the league. They've gotten some of the best goaltending in hockey this year. They have all the superstars ready to go. And, you know, you combine all that and, you know, and, and of course the depth and, you know, that has the makings of a team that can make a deep run. It's just all that, you know, can Tristan not fold under pressure like he did last year? You know, can the depth scoring get back? And can this team get back to where they were playing just to be out, you know, a week and a half ago? Because, you know, we saw it last night. They were that freaking good. And, you know, sometimes that's the game of hockey. You don't win when you play your best. But, you know, they rediscovered their game, which I think is just as important. They'll be ready to go going up against Boston next week, a place they have not won in almost a decade at this point, So, which is ridiculous. But, um I think that's kind of where I stand on that. But again, you know, it's it's going to be a dog fight. The East is really tough this year. But you know, with how the goaltending has been and the stars and all that, mm-hmm. I think they got a shot. I really do. Well, thank you, Hunter, for joining us. Before we let you go, let us know what's coming up for you on Locked On Penguins. Yeah, so I'm going to have an episode coming out later today. Um, probably just you know look at this whole week as a whole and just you know get my thoughts on what's going, which hopefully will happen coming up. Um, for the break here Thursday, I'm having Jesse Marshall on. So that's going to be huge. Um, I'm excited to bring him back. I haven't had him on. I don't think since uh, a few months now, I believe, but you know, we're just going to go into the first half of the season as a whole and just touch on a, a whole bunch of topics. And then, you know, we're all full steam ahead going into next week when the team will be back in action in Boston and we'll go to Ottawa to hopefully see old friend, Matt Murray. <laughs> Yes, it's going to be an interesting second half of the NHL season. But one last time, Hunter, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, make sure you check out Locked on Penguins. It's always fun talking to Jesse Marshall wherever he's talking. So check out that episode coming out later this week. One last time, thanks again, Hunter. Yeah, you got it, guys. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN when signing up at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and even better opportunities. Again, that is the 
DraftKings Sportsbook app, promo code THPN. One last thank you goes out to Hunter Hodes for joining the show. Always a great time. He is from Locked On Penguins, so we appreciate him giving us his time here during the All-Star break to talk a little bit about the black and gold. But let's finish this show off with our shout-outs and call-outs. Horwat, who were you shouting out this week? Uh, you you were asking me about it off air not a couple days ago, but I'm going to shout out Wordle. Cause, uh, it's just good, wholesome fun to have every day on your... You can start your morning off just while you're drinking your morning coffee, try and guess this game. Have you played it yet, Merlansky? I have not, no. I haven't had the time. Uh, that's fair. I've been um, busy this week, okay? <laughs> no, we, I, I understand. You, sometimes shit happens, you get busy. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a fun little word game. Just type in some, or not type in some letters, type in some words. You try and figure out what the main word is. For those of you who look at Twitter, I see a lot of people starting to get mad that people tweet out their scores. Uh, it's easy just to keep scrolling. Leave it at that. It doesn't, it doesn't take long for you just to keep scrolling past the green, white, and yellow uh, boxes that get tweeted out. I tweet them every day because it's fun, and I still have a 100% win streak going. So I'm going to keep flexing that. I will say if I lose, by the way, but <laughs> it's just good, wholesome fun. Just try and think of five-letter words. Who cares? Like, everyone getting mad at it shouldn't be because it's, it's just a fun game. Um, and I don't have too much else on it, just – I just thought you would have played it by now, but you're busy. I get it. And, Yet, uh, and you should try and play it. It is genuine, good, just um, intriguing fun. It gets your brain going in the morning. What was that old thing that used to go around? Basically, everybody was into it too. HQ? Is that oh what? For like, for like two months, was... HQ was like the biggest thing in the United States. And then it just faded into oblivion. And I'm sure Wordle will be probably the same thing in two months. Nobody will know what it is, and then we'll look back in a retrospective of 2022, and people will say, hey, do you remember Wordle? So the thing about Wordle is, while HQ was a ton of fun, I remember HQ. The closest I came was, I think, two away from the from winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with Wordle, though, is it the creator, it was just one guy who created it. I think he made it for just one person mm-hmm. initially, um, but it has since picked up all this attention and daily uh gameplay and people tweeting it out thousands and thousands of times a day and talking about it yeah um it was created and based in new york times style stuff like uh, oh, okay. word, like crosswords stuff like that new york times yeah. has bought the game <laughs> or bought it or they're gonna run it however i forget what the situation is i haven't looked into it but i saw the creator tweeted like thank you to the new york times for taking this over it was kind yeah, they're of gonna based- monetize it that's the thing. <laughs> they're that gonna, they, he they're did gonna say monetize it. They, they might, but he did say they're gonna make. He's gonna make sure they don't monetize it, and that your scores stay intact and all that. So mm-hmm. it could be a ton of fun. It, it. If anything, it's gonna get more popular with the New York Times now because, yeah. um, they might throw ads on it. I don't think they'll monetize yeah. it per se. Because well, that's that's how they're gonna monetize it. They're gonna put ads on it. Yeah, it's just gonna be hey, wait, wait through this thirty second ad while <laughs> your game loads. Which yep. I'll st- no big deal. Whatever. As long as it's just one ad and it doesn't hit me with an ad after every missed word I get, I don't mm-hmm. care. It's good for him and it's good for the game. Which it's just good fun. Mm-hmm. Well, my shout out is also good fun, and I'm shouting out Joe Burrow. 
I mean, the guy is electric. Wearing those that diamond necklace into the AFC Championship game, being asked about it after, oh yeah, he won the AFC Championship and is taking the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl. Somebody asked him, are those are those real diamonds? And he says, I make too much money for these to be fake. So yes, they're real diamonds. I love Joey Burrow. He, he's Joey Swagger. Second season in, and he takes the Cincinnati Bengals not only to a playoff victory, not only to two playoff victories, but to three playoff victories, and he's headed to LA to take on the Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl after a huge 27-24 win against the Chiefs last Sunday. He had 250 yards through the air, two touchdowns, one pick. He ran for 25 yards as well. He's not really a running quarterback. He was sacked only once, which is huge because he has an awful offensive line. He reminded me a little bit of early Big Ben. He got out of those. In, there, there were times where there were two, three Chiefs defensive linemen on him. He got out of it, made a play, whether that be tossing the ball, finding the open guy, or just running for the first down. He was only sacked once. He was hit four times, pressured way more than that. The guy is just a straight-up winner. National champion from LSU, Heisman Trophy winner, looking to become only the third quarterback ever behind, oh, Joe Namath and Joe Montana. And Joe Burrow, they could be the three guys that win a national championship, win a Heisman Trophy, and win a Super Bowl. Already great elite company. And the NFL, even though Tom Brady's gone, Ben Roethlisberger's gone. The NFL is in good hands, especially the AFC, with Mahomes, with Allen, with Herbert, and also with Joey Burrow. Joey Big Nuts Burrow taking the, the Bengals to the Super Bowl. And honestly, I might root for him. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with whoever wins in Super Bowl 56. Yeah, me too. I, it, we've, I've seen a lot of discourse that Pittsburgh fans, uh, Steelers fans, should not be cheering for the Cincinnati Bengals in this. And I get it. Yeah. I get it. You don't want to root for your rivals. But as a Penguin fan, and as one who was not rooting for actively, but would not have minded seeing Alex Ovechkin win his win his cup finally, mm-hmm. this would be good for the Bengals. Yeah. Obviously, it's a Super Bowl championship, but this is just a fun team. And again, I think I said, I don't know if I said this on air or just to you, but it's there's still a rivalry between the Steelers and Bengals, but it doesn't seem as strong as what the Ravens have come to produce or now that the yeah. pretty decent Browns have come to do. Yeah. The Bengals have been bad for so long that the rivalry fade, faded <laughs> away. It's kind of like yeah. the Penguins-Flyers rivalry. It's there. Don't get us wrong. Mm-hmm. It is still alive and well. But when one team is just bad, there's different sort of hatred. It's, hey, you're all of a sudden the little brother, yeah. not the peer. So watching yeah. someone like the Bengals who are turning into the peer – of the Steelers, or soon to be the big brother, probably. This team, the Steelers might not <laughs> we'll be see. good next year. We'll see. Maybe yeah. they will, maybe they won't. We'll see. Um, but it's just good fun to watch. It, it, plus, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow, it sucks. It always sucks when a very fun, likable guy is on the rival team. Yeah. It's just the way it, that hurts. Uh, <laughs> but he's fun and likable and is a good football player. And, I mean, he beat Patrick Mahomes twice yeah he showed up jackson mahomes and whatever Brittany matthews whatever patrick mahomes fiance is but they were they were getting on my nerves so shout out to joe burrow secondly for doing that as well yeah so (laughs) it'll be good fun to watch plus like you mentioned Mm -hmm. i don't care who wins this year either finally although i'll be working during it but still Mm -hmm. if it's the rams good for aaron donald we pittsburgh born uh penn hills native or and good for matt stafford and Matt Stafford, yes. Yeah. Out of Detroit and one year later showing that it was not him. Yeah, not not his problem. Yes. Yeah, if it's 
if it's the Rams, cool. If it's the Bengals, sure. As a Steeler fan, it hurts a little, but at the same time, you look at Joe Burrow being the next big thing of quarterbacks, and you look at also Pittsburgh native Tyler Boyd. Did I get yes. the name right? Another Pittsburgh native winning. So regardless, there's going to be a Pittsburgh victor in there. You love seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm excited for the Super Bowl. We're probably going to talk about it more because it is still what, like, ten days away, eleven days away as of this sit recording. The garbage so, Pro Bowl first. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not watching that. Um, my shout out. We gotta we gotta move a little quicker here. My shout out, or sorry, my call out uh, goes to the NFL as well. They're being sued by Brian Flores, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, for racism during hiring practices. And I'm calling them out because it's pretty obvious that they do. Currently, there is one. African-American head coach in the National Football League currently employed, and that is Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Flores himself was fired by the Dolphins after going 9-8 and eight this season. I already called the Dolphins out a couple weeks ago because they fired a coach that went 9-8 and eight after starting 1-7. and seven. He is an incredible head coach. I thought he was going to the Bears because he's a great defensive coach and the Bears have a great defense. So, yeah, you see Brian Flores. That's example number one. David Culley was fired from the Houston Texans after just one season. And look at that season. You had the Deshaun Watson drama. He had a rookie quarterback in Davis Mills. DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt just left, so your roster's already pretty crappy. They still went 4-13. and But how often does a head coach get fired after one season when he doesn't do anything as stupid as John Gruden? Like, to be completely honest, I don't understand why he was fired. He's probably, unfortunately, not going to get another shot to be a head coach in this league. And like I said, the hiring practices, you can see it's a pattern. Why is a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who's the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, who calls the plays for one of the most prolific offenses in NFL history the past four years, how can he not get a job? How can Brian Flores be fired after the performance he had? Todd Bowles also doesn't have a job yet. David Culley is probably not going to get another opportunity, yet we have a guy like Josh McDaniels who just got hired by the Las Vegas Raiders last week, getting his second opportunity to be a head coach. It was so bad in Denver, they couldn't get him out of town fast enough, but there's going to be the excuses that, oh, he comes from the Belichick tree, all this crap. So is Brian Flores. So I honestly, I agree with Brian Flores. I think this is something that is pretty obvious, and now it's been brought into the legal sense of the word. So I honestly hope something fixes there because these guys it's not just because african americans aren't getting hired it's because they are much better options much better candidates yet they still don't get hired luckily i think byron leftwich is gonna get the job in jacksonville but he's currently going head to head with management on trying to fire the general manager before he accepts the job so we'll see how that goes hopefully he deserves a head coaching job as well he's done great as the offensive coordinator for the bucks but that is my call out as the nfl because not only are they now finally getting sued for it it's blatantly obvious that they just do not hire African-Americans to, to points of power, especially in a league where 70% of the players are black. So go ahead. Yeah, no, that, that's just where I was going to end it is it's the fact that just the dichotomy between the candidacy and who is actually a good candidate versus who's actually getting fired is blatantly obvious and blatantly horrific at this point. Especially, especially in a league uh, that has the Rooney role where you have to interview them sure yeah. yeah you don't have to hire them but it's when the percentages are that low when the hiring process is that the fact that they had to add a rooney rule should say something in the first place yeah like let's start there whenever that was implemented the fact that they had to enforce teams to yeah to force teams to interview at least one uh minority for a coaching position 
or management position. That should say something and just to start. But yeah. yeah, when you see everything else, it becomes blatantly obvious that there's something wrong here because just look at the numbers. Yeah. So we're running out of time here before we have actually uh, something else that we have to do after this recording. So who is your call out, Horwat? Yeah, say so we're running out of time. That's why I couldn't go too deep into detail on that one. But yeah. And this is another one that we could talk about for ages and ages, but I'll just try and make it quick. But just all-star games in general being way less boring. We had this discussion um, off-air after the last recording, and I thought we had a good discussion that should be on microphone. But again, we don't have much time. But just all all-star games just not being fun anymore. The game itself, yeah. at least terrible in almost all aspects, except for baseball. Shout out to baseball for having something that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the all-star game, let's tell it like it is. The, the skills comp style thing is always the most entertaining part. Yeah, I think what the NHL is trying to do this year with the Bellagio Fountain thing and Blackjack, basically, yeah, um, that could be entertaining, that could be interesting, or it could be a huge disaster. There's going to yeah, be no a- in-between. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no fixing the Pro Bowl, period. <laughs> no, it's, it's that's garbage. That is the... Of the biggest sport in the country, the worst all-star game, if you will. Um, the NBA all-star game always gets overshadowed by the slam dunk contest, which is also, like you mentioned, has also fallen off because there's just mm-hmm. nothing new to do anymore. Yeah. And when it comes to the pinnacle of all-star events, the home run derby still wins to me. Yeah, because it's getting better. They're, they're starting to revive it. There was a time there that nobody cared because people wouldn't perform in it, but now you're starting to get a little bit more interest from the players, and it's become, again, a household thing in the Midsummer's Classic. And, and also, an all-star game that is called the Midsummer Classic. It has a nickname. You don't call, what, the NHL the, all-star game the... Midwinter Classic? Yeah. The, the Not the Winter Classic. Winter cl- the, but, there's, but that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Or the NBA all-star game, which really just turns into the Harlem Globetrotters against the Harlem Globetrotters, which is okay, I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything. And the stars go, sure. But where is it this year, Berlansky? Cleveland. Oh. Cleveland, Ohio in February. I can't. I, I would love to go to an all-star game, which is supposed to be an event of fun and, and not just the game, but parties all around. Yeah, let's party in Cleveland during the – what third week of february it's the 18th through the 20th so yeah but not fun now i don't mind that all-star games travel from city to city it makes sense yeah. that they do that because it's it's exposing the sport to other to to the country and other fans Marcus. in each city um and when the mlb all-star game was in pittsburgh it was a ton of fun mm-hmm. but again it's the mlb all-star game it's the best one despite yeah. having the worst hall of fame different situation <laughs> um just it was a ton of fun because, again, the Home Run Derby is a thing. The, mm. I feel like they need to make a bigger deal out of the celebrity softball game and the juniors game because that's just yeah. good fun. They play yeah. it. Uh, they play, I know they played the celebrity softball game on TV like at midnight after the Derby. But yeah. again, they, play that live. Do some streaming stuff for that. That's good fun. Like, mm-hmm. it's, It is the party of not just the, these baseball former Hall of Famers, but the celebrities. That's mm. money. That is called new eyes on your sport yeah i don't know make a bigger deal of it um so every all-star game has their lulls and who like i said the nhl's this year those two new games are either going to be a ton of fun or just an absolute dumpster fire i'm hoping for the fun because the blackjack one looks interesting and you could do something with that every year 
The Bellagio one might be a one a one off. I'm intrigued by the fountain face-off, which is what they're calling it. I'm intrigued by what that might be. I mean, Alex Ovechkin is going to be feel just like he's at home because he was in the obviously the fountain after they won the Stanley Cup in Vegas. But no, we'll see what goes on there. Yeah, it'll. I think there'll be. It, they got you. They gave you a reason to watch. Exactly. Yeah, it's a reason to tune in. Whether to see it crash and burn or actually be a success, we'll have to wait and see. But that's going to do it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you again to Hunter Hodes for joining the show. We will see you guys on Monday to break down what happens in the Fountain Faceoff and the All-Star Skills Competition and the NHL All-Star Game. But we're also going to talk about Evgeny Malkin in bulk. But that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you guys on Monday. Have a good weekend, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.